following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, uh, which is on the right-hand side of your Bibles. It can be kind of hard to find those little letters in the New Testament, so feel free to use the table of contents if you need to. Um, we started 1 Thessalonians last week, and we looked at chapter 1, and if you uh, want to catch up, communitygospelchurch.com, you can find all of our messages that are there. So, First um, Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we're at today, and we're going to look at the first 16 verses of that uh, chapter. And as you are looking there, you are going to see a bold heading above chapter 2, where it says, Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians. Paul is our author, and as he pens this letter to the Thessalonians, uh, I am reminded of Paul being a man of integrity. And the word integrity uh, can be defined multiple ways um, in regards to how it is applied. But if we were to look at Paul, we would say that Paul's a man of integrity because he does the right thing even when no one is watching. And the same should be said for us as believers. Do you do the right thing even when no one is watching? Those are profound words that resonate with what Paul is going to say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's back up just a little bit and recap 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 1, we saw how the gospel transformed the Thessalonians. These individuals gathered together who knew Jesus Christ as their Savior. And one of the most powerful passages, I think, in the text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is who they used to be to who they are now. They used to be drunken, dishonest, impure, contentious people. But then they heard the gospel preached by three men. Paul, our author, along with his two companions, Salvinius, who is Silas, and by the way, that is the Silas in the Bible, okay? <laughs> that, is, that is that guy. And then a young Timothy, who will pastor a church too as well. They're transformed by the Holy Spirit. I used to be this way, now I'm this way. Paul says the gospel did a great work in your life, and you started becoming walking Worshippers, Romans chapter 12, therefore offer yourselves as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is what the Thessalonians started to do. And as they started to do that, the world started to push back against them. And they found themselves persecuted because of the gospel that they received. And so Paul writes them a letter because he's like, I want to build you up. And in chapter 2, it's fascinating, he starts talking about his ministry with Timothy and Silas and how they served so that they would have three marks of an authentic ministry as they served the Lord. So this is really a call for the church who is anchored in Christ to have faith, 
to be enabled by the Holy Spirit to live a full, rich, genuinely devoted life to the Lord. If Christ has saved you, what Paul is saying is, act like this. Like we acted, therefore we were imitators of Christ. You can imitate us. So that moves us into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Let's read the first seven verses. <clears throat> For you yourselves know, brothers... And remember, when you get to that word brothers, that's kind of interesting because Paul is using a term of endearment for the church. If you remember, he used to persecute the church, and now he's populating it. So to say that he is writing to the brothers means that he loves them. He cares for them. He has a compassion of it. It's also a family term. He is saying we're family, brothers and sisters in Christ. When we, or our, Paul, Timothy, and Silas came to you, it was not a worthless trip. It wasn't in vain. But though we had already, verse 2, suffered greatly and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or in any attempt to deceive, but just as we had been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, we spoke not to please men, we spoke to please God, who tests our hearts. We never came with words of flattery. As you know, nor at the pretext of greed, God's our witness to that. Verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people. In other words, we didn't want to be popular. Whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Jesus Christ. We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. The first thing that Paul says is that marks an authentic ministry is a constant demonstration of godliness. Now, we have a problem in American society. And the problem is that we think that there are uh, full-time missionaries and full-time ministers, which there are, and that essentially looks at us as common people and says, I am uh, relieved of that call. That's not true. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, all of us are called and commanded and commissioned to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, Matthew 28. You have a mission field. And Paul's saying, Thessalonians, you were our mission field. And in our mission field, we demonstrated godliness to you, which now you should do for others. Go to verse 1. Paul starts by commenting about his visit to the Thessalonian church. And how people outside the church were charging him with unworthy motives and improper conduct. If you are passionate about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, there will at some point come people who think you have an unworthy motive or have improper conduct. And Paul reminds the Thessalonians of the reasons for his actions. And he clarifies his motives by calling the believers to remember the facts of his visit. Notice in verse 1, he says, we didn't visit you in vain, nor did we look at that visit as a failure. You were transformed by the gospel's power, and that made our ministry a success. That the gospel came to you, it did a great work among you, and we're excited that it continues to do a great work among you. So throughout the duration of Paul and Timothy and Silas, in Thessalonians, in the Thessalonica region, Godly characteristics demonstrated that were to be modeled by other believers. Look at the three traits, starting with verse 2. First one, we were bold when we were opposed. We were bold when we were opposed. 
Paul, Timothy, and Silas come to Thessalonica after having been suffered much shameful treatment for preaching the gospel at Philippi. If you like to write in your Bible, which I do, you could write in the margins, Acts chapter 16, verse 19 through 24. Anytime you're reading the New Testament letters, the book of Acts gives us great background to what is transpiring in regards to these letters. So that's important for us to understand. Paul says, regardless of the opposition that came to us, we were bold to stand up at the synagogue in Thessalonica and preach the same gospel message that brought persecution to us in Philippi. In other words, when you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though you're persecuted for it, it's always worth it. It's always worth it. As a messenger of the gospel, we speak the truth of God's word in the midst of much conflict. You, when you give the truth of scripture to somebody, are speaking into their conflict. And it's going to bring opposition. People have a hard time hearing truth, especially when they're in conflict. And he says, Paul says, just as we were given strength, you will be given strength regardless of the challenges that you may encounter. How does he know that? Well, it's not Paul's strength. He knew that Christ was given boldness in Matthew 5. He knew the apostles were given boldness in Acts 5. And he says, when you are opposed, you're in good company. You're with Christ. You're with the apostles. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep being bold. John Stott said, the Christian's task is not to be liked and accepted, but to faithfully proclaim the truth, even in the face of opposition. Some of us look at that quote and we're like, thank God I get to just say whatever I want. (laughs) Well, verse 3 and 4 says you need to have pure motives, which is the second trait of godliness. Paul passionately refuted three accusations because Paul was one who was bold when he was opposed. And when he was bold, people would say three things. Number one, your message, verse three, is deceptive. Paul said, I'm not here to deceive. I'm speaking the truth. Number two, they would say, your motivation is unpure. He would say, no, I'm trying to be sincere and genuine in my heart. Verse four, if you want to underline that, it says, I strive to please God. And then they would say, you kind of beat around the bush. Paul says, no, I'm pretty straightforward. I speak on facts. When you faithfully preach the gospel, the same should be said about you. That your message is rooted in truth. That your motivation is to please the Lord. And that your method is straightforward. These are important. Paul said that him and Timothy and Silas were approved by God, entrusted with the sacred task of proclaiming the good news even when persecution happened. We never take lightly the call to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in words and in actions. The purity of our motive acts as a guiding light. It illuminates the path of righteousness and authenticity. If you shine the light of Christ into somebody else's life, especially when they're in conflict, they have to choose whether they will walk in that light or walk in that darkness. So Psalm 51 verse 10 really kind of speaks to our heart a little bit where it says, create in me a pure heart, God, when I shine the light of Christ and renew steadfast spirit in with me so that they see you in the words that I proclaim. 
The psalmist is passionate that God's truth is a light unto people's path, not his own. So, boldness, yes, when opposed, motives pure, but then verse 5 says, the third thing, that is the third trait of godliness, you should be gentle and caring. So oftentimes, we bring down the hammer of condemnation when really we forget the cross of care. So Paul's preaching to the Thessalonians wasn't so that they would like him or so they would flatter him. It's not a popularity contest. It wasn't to seek, verse 6, glory from people. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I say this as nicely as I possibly can. Sometimes as believers, we act like we're better than other people. And don't get me wrong, people are going to misperceive who you are and what you're all about. It happens all the time. We think we deserve special treatment. Paul said that as an apostle, he could have made demands, but he didn't. He didn't act like a boss. He didn't throw his weight around. He didn't make the Thessalonian believers do things for them. His motives were pure. If you look at verse 7, he cared for their well-being like a parent, like a shepherd. He is affectionate. You can tell when somebody is concerned about you and when somebody is condemning you, correct? You can just feel it. You can feel those motives. You can be bold and opposed, have pure motives, and be gentle and caring. All three of those things can exist. Now, we often wonder, like, why was Paul so concerned about this? What was his big reason behind this? Well, in New Testament times, there were traveling philosophers, and they came all over the Roman Empire. And they went from place to place, and they entertained people, and they sought personal fame and glory. They were constantly wondering, will people like me, right? We want you to like me. And then when people did like them, they were like, hey, give us more money. <laughs> Sounds like some megachurch <laughs> pastors. Anyway, um, so here, Paul says, that's not our aim. Our aim is for spiritual growth, not fame and notoriety. He cares for their well-being. He says, Paul, or he says, Timothy and Silas and myself, we're not like that. We're genuinely concerned for your own spiritual well-being. Church, a godly man or woman is consistent in speaking God's truth when they're opposed, with pure motives in a caring, gentle way. Rather than seeking something for yourself, we delight in giving to others freely. And Paul says the best gift that we can give as believers is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even when some people hate it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the best medicine that you can give to a world that needs it the most. So the first thing that Paul says is, let's make sure that we're constant and consistent in demonstrating our godliness, unapologetically unashamed for the gospel, pure in our motives, gentle and caring. Verse 8. Then he says, so being affectionately desirous of you, in other words, he's saying, we, we love you, church, we're ready to share with you not only in the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you became very near and dear to us. Now, a lot of people in the Thessalonian church are young believers. And Paul feels very strongly that as an older believer, he is to nurture new believers. And so he says that I want to make sure that you are nurtured in word, teaching the things that we have taught you, but also in action, 
And Paul says, we modeled well for you what action looked like when we were with you. There were Christ-like qualities that we showed you what a believer should look like. So an authentic ministry is marked by taking ownership for nurturing new believers. And we just had a funeral on Wednesday. um, And in that funeral, um, after that funeral, excuse me, a dear brother of mine um, and I were talking at uh, the, the grave site. And he said, Jordan, I'm so incredibly impressed about what is going on at Community Gospel Church. I said, praise the Lord. He said, when I was there in the late 70s and the early 80s, I didn't have, tell him the, I didn't have the heart to tell him when I was born. Um, he said, we were so passionate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do people still share the gospel like they used to back then? I said, yeah, actually. I said, our, our, whole, our two pillars of the church are evangelism and edification. He said, you know, when we were coming to the church, it was not uncommon for us to sit down in the pews and look over to the person next to us who we didn't know and ask them if they knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he said, if that person did know Jesus, well, we just like would praise the Lord. If they didn't, we just share our faith with them right there in church. He said, it was, it was amazing for us. We could take care of people right there who were present next to us in the pews. And I thought, wow, that's unbelievable that evangelism can take place even here at church. We can't forget that because that's a form, verse 8, of sacrificial love. Paul, Silas, and Timothy sacrificially demonstrated the gospel and how it looked, not just in words, but also in actions. They were willing to give whatever they had, even themselves, to assist and support these beloved Thessalonian believers, expecting nothing in return. Genuine, godly love, because of the gospel, meets a spiritual and a physical need. Words will reach a spiritual need. Actions will reach a physical need. This shows us the selfless love of Christ. Now, if you look at John chapter 15, you don't have to go there, but verse 13 is really an interesting verse of scripture because it says that Jesus lays down his life for us when he calls us friends. Paul's modeling that. The true definition of love is seeking the other person's best. We seek the best not only for believers that we know, love, and care for, but also new believers that we hear about. And so what does Paul say? How do you demonstrate that sacrificial love? Go to verse 9. You imitate it well. Paul, Silas, and Timothy imitated Christ-like qualities in their personal labor. Now, if you want to, you can circle that word labor. It's a really interesting word. It means toil. In other words, what Paul says is we worked hard or toiled among you. The word toil means strenuous effort or hard work. Sometimes I think the American church forgets that the gospel of Jesus Christ takes hard work. We forget that it takes work, right? We just want things handed to us sometimes. And Paul put some hard work into his ministries. The same word is used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, if you want to go back up there. He says, remembering before our God and Father, your work of faith and labor, there's that word, toil. We worked with you, not to be a burden, but helped. We worked day and night in hard work. It is believed that Paul used his tent-making skills with the Thessalonians. 
In other words, he was right there with them. He was imitating what it looked like to use his giftedness for the Lord. In other words, Paul just didn't stand up there and preach and then take off. No, he was constantly active in the lives of the Thessalonians, working hard, showing devotion and honesty and trying to have no impure motives. Paul's doing exactly what he did when he wrote to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, You should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Words and deeds. Some of us, it's going to hurt a little bit, church, okay, but, uh, uh, and I'm not sorry about it. Some of us love to preach Jesus, but we don't like to practice what Jesus looks like in hard work. Some of us, right, try to find ways out of work instead of try to find ways in work. How can I use my giftedness? Some of us heard Jessica's call. She's going to say thank you so much, Jordan, for saying this. Some of you heard Jessica's call and you started looking at your calendars and thinking to yourselves, oh, we have this on Wednesday night and that on Wednesday night, instead of saying, I wonder how I can get out of that so that I can serve in that. Sometimes we're so passionate about fleeing from the things of God instead of focusing on the things of God. And Paul's saying, we imitate what it looks like to work for the Lord because this is striving to set an example in life and ministry. All believers are called to have a strong work ethic. If I were to go to your workplace, would your boss look at me and say, they're the hardest working person here at our company? If you're a stay-at-home parent, would you be like the hardest working parent? Some of us don't think about that sometimes. But Paul says, we don't do this to be a burden to you. We strive to serve in any way possible for the sole reason of spreading the gospel. We go back to the Psalms, and in Psalm chapter 90, verse 17, this is really a prayer, that in everything I do, the Lord our God would show us his approval and make our efforts successful. And I love that he says it again. Sometimes you got to say the same thing twice, right? That's called emphasis. So we're taking care of other believers in a sacrificial way. We're imitating what it looks like to be like Jesus. And that is culminating, verse 11, in a life that is pleasing to God. Now look at this. Paul not only cared for the Thessalonians like a father in verbal training and instruction, but he loved them like his own children in actions. The word children there is the word tekna. And it emphasizes that Thessalonian believers were somewhat immature and needed help. How many of us know somebody who's somewhat immature and needs help? I heard the other day somebody tell me, I can't believe that person goes to your church. And I thought, I can't believe I go to my church, <laughs> our church. I was like, we're all supposed to be here, right? Everybody's supposed to be present here. I mean, we all need some help. We're all children who are a little bit immature and need some assistance. Amen? So all this is done so the Thessalonians could walk worthy of God's calling and honor the Lord in all they thought, said, and did. You know, it's so similar to the church of Ephesus. When Paul wrote to the church of Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I beg you, beg you. Church, community gospel church, I beg you as your pastor to lead a life worthy of the calling for you have been called by God. Not just Sunday mornings, Sunday afternoons, Sunday evenings, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all for the rest of your life. This would be my prayer for you that you lead a life worthy of your calling that you have been called by God, the most high God, the God that you sang to just a little bit ago. To live worthy of the call of God is the most noble pursuit as believers. 
This is our heart's desire. Never forget, church, as a believer in Jesus Christ, never forget you have been chosen by God, called to enter his kingdom, partake in his divine purposes, and reflect his glory to the world in all things. You have to model well what the inheritance you've been given looks like through faith because people are watching. People are paying so close attention. You look at it and you say, well, Jordan, I didn't think I was supposed to worry about what people say. I, 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 don't, I didn't think I was supposed to worry about what, the applause of men. I didn't say worry about the applause of men. I said worry about the applause of God in serving men, modeling the inheritance that you have been given. The prayer here is to walk in the fullness of your identity in Christ as a chosen vessel of God's grace by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this on your own, but you can when powered by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, we took care of you that way. Do we take care of people that way? Just curious, thinking through that. Verse 13. And so, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, that's verbal, you accepted it not as the word of men. In other words, this is not Paul's uh, opinion on things, right? But you accepted it for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Verse 14. For you, brothers, there it is again. He uses that word so many times. It's that term of endearment constantly, uh, just, just trying to get them to see like, hey, we're a family here. We're, we're in good company here. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God and Jesus Christ that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things for your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. What is he talking about there? Some of Paul's words are hard to understand. Amen? I mean, if the apostles of Jesus Christ said that, we can say that as well. And what Paul's saying is he's, he's saying, listen, when we go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, our authentic ministry is to be godly, is to take care of new believers and also to be willing to face opposition and persecution. Yes, it will come upon you. Yes, these things will happen. When you demonstrate godliness, when you love people well, persecution and problems will come. So what are you supposed to do? Number one, endure for the sake of the gospel. Some of us have had painful experiences for the gospel of Jesus Christ and we gave up. And Paul says, no, don't give up. The Thessalonians knew Paul's words were not man's wisdom, but a message from God. It changed their lives in ways that Paul couldn't do on his own. The gospel took root in their heart. It caused them, look at that, verse uh, 13 and 14, to become imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus in Judea. In other words, they were suffering the same things other believers in that region were suffering for Jesus. You're ministering to some person in your workplace who doesn't know Jesus, and you think, I'm all alone. You're not all alone. I guarantee you somebody else is going through the same thing. You're having pain because you have a person in your life, maybe you're married to them, they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you're saying, ah, it's the only, I'm the only person who has an unbelieving spouse. No, not true. I give up. No, you can't give up. You got to endure. You got to keep going. 
See, what Paul's saying is he's saying, keep pushing, keep taking ground for the sake of the gospel. Keep being like Jesus. God's truth is good medicine that needed to be implemented to heal sin-sick souls. He's like, just keep going. You had a setback? Neat. Get back in the game. Someone wasn't nice to you? That happens. You know, it's funny. We were uh, talking about homework in our, in our house the other day. And homework's hard. Amen? Homework's hard. So let's just close up the books and let's just put them away. And let's just stop. No more teachers, no more books, no more kids' dirty looks. No, we dig right back into that, that and we say, hey, we're going to figure this out. What if I look like a failure? What if I look foolish? Who cares? I would rather be foolish for the gospel of Jesus Christ than people look at me and see me as a fraud and a fake because I want the applause of men. What Paul's saying here is he's saying, church, we never lose heart. We do not give up. We continue to endure for the sake of the gospel. Be unapologetically unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as a Thessalonian, I would probably look at that and be like, yeah, that's, that's a good, yay, rah, rah. You're right. Okay, Coach Paul. Who cares? You know, like, that's, I'm motivated. Yeah, big time motivated. I love verse 15 and 16 because I think it speaks to people's hearts. He says, don't forget the wrath of God. <laughs> I just love that. When, when the apostles faced persecution from the Pharisees, what's the first thing they looked at Jesus and said? Should we call down fire from heaven? They were so big on the judgment of God. I think for us as people, we, we're like, hey God, do these people ever get what they deserve? And the Thessalonians are in good company of people who suffered for the gospel. Jesus suffered, prophets suffered, Paul was driven out, he says in verse 15 and 16. His fellow missionaries were uh, driven out, but none of them lost heart. Why? Because Paul reminds the Thessalonians that they're persecutors and any persecutor of the gospel is one who welcomes the judgment of God upon themselves. You know what I think is cool about Paul is? He doesn't always tell people that. He just thinks it in his head. He has all of this boldness, pure motive, gentleness and care. He shines a light on the path that people need to walk on and when they reject it, I think in his head he goes, well, judgment of God's coming. It's going to happen. Don't forget that even though people oppress and oppose you, they cannot oppress and oppose God without experiencing his judgment. Hope and comfort for believers in opposition is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Man, I tell you what, if you want somebody to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, just tell them to read the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35. It says very specifically, who shall separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? Name one. Tribulation? Nope. Distress? Nope. Persecution? Nope. Famine? Nope. Nakedness? Nope. Danger? Nope. Sword? Nope. Lose my job? Nope. Lose my friends? Nope. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. As it is written, which is interesting, that's an Old Testament passage from the book of Psalms. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. What? We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. In all these things, Paul wrote the Roman church. We are more than conquerors through him because he loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. That's good news. That should be on the the, the front of your minds. It should be on the mirrors of your bathroom. It should be on the dashboards of your cars. It should be tattooed on your heart. Integrity is doing the right thing when no one is watching. And that's what comes when we are men and women of integrity. So we have an opportunity and an obligation. Paul says twofold as believers that we are called to be godly in all we think, say, and do. Even when no one is watching. Even when everybody's watching. Opposition comes, yes. And we'll be called to put in the hard work, but it is our opportunity to demonstrate godliness in all things. Let me just ask you a question. What are you loathing this week? It's like the one thing you just look at your calendar, you're like, oh man, that. I gotta do that right? Let me take it a step further. What's the one thing that you're looking at this week that's a person that you're loathing? Some of you don't have to travel far. They might be sitting right next to you. And you think to yourself, that, that. And God says that is an opportunity to embrace godliness. That is an opportunity to boldly proclaim the truth in whatever season you find yourself in. That he is good. His love endures forever. So in the hard things this week, let's first of all, let's lean into it, okay? Let's welcome it. And you can email me later this week and be like, this happened, right? It's your fault. It's not my fault, okay? God has put you and placed you in this season for his reason. It is our opportunity and obligation to be obedient And to be filled with the Holy Spirit for his divine strength flows through you when you are obedient to him. Be unapologetically unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in words and in actions. Let his truth guide you and it will go well with you. Heavenly Father, your truth. Thank you for Paul and Silas and Timothy, models of what it looked like. We know that they stumbled and fumbled. We know that they face setback. We know that your church has faced setback. But you call us to be obedient, to be set apart, to be sanctified for the gospel that we have received. If you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, the step for you is to repent of your sins and come to know this Jesus who redeems us by the power of his blood. Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I ask that you would come and do a great work in my life. I follow you. I repent of my sin. I trust that the blood of Christ covers my sin. And for those of us here who know Christ as Savior, we first of all repent of how we have looked at and treated our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, help us to see that we are all in process 
And God, we ask that you would help us to sacrificially love one another, to imitate well and model what it looks like to follow Jesus, to live a life that is pleasing to you. And when times get tough, because they will, and when seasons are hard, because they are, we ask that you would help us to endure, not on our own strength, but on the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit that we have received. It would not be our strength, it would be your strength. And that we remember that you are coming back again soon, and when you do, you'll do a great work. It is our opportunity and our obligation to be faithful in that process. So help us to do just that. May the Holy Spirit speak now. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.